Today's scripture reading is going to be from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. God's word reads, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is God's word. You may be seated. Oh, Father, we are thankful for voices to be able to lift them up in song and to sing of your praise. And we are thankful for the touch, the embrace, the the sense of the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ, our family in Christ. And we are thankful for the mystery of this text and for the history of eyes to see it and ears to hear this text We also, for this, Father, give you thanks. For sometimes our our eyes are blind and scaled, and sometimes our ears are sealed, and at times uh, we seem to be children of another world. And so our prayer in the name of Christ in this moment is a prayer for discernment and for perception, and for strength to wrench the meaning and blessing of these words, and for courage to live these words as ultimate realities, not only in our church, in our community, and city, but in this world, to your glory and to your praise. And this, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, and all the church said, Two of the uh, great pre-Christian classics of literature in the ancient world help us to understand that the the ancient world was an uber-violent place. The ancient world was a place of tremendous violence. Uh, Written about 3,000 years ago, you have the Iliad by Homer, a a Greek text. Most of us have read it either in middle school or high school, the Iliad and the Odyssey. The Iliad... And this is 3,000 years ago. 
uh, 2,000 years or 1,000 years before the time of Christ, it, it begins with reference to wrath, to human wrath. And then from the Latin side of the, the coin of the ancient world and the classics of the ancient world, you have the Aeneid written by Virgil. And it's written more or less, depending on when you date it, maybe a quarter century before the time of Jesus. And it begins as a poem. It, it begins with the words, I sing of warfare and a man of war. I sing of warfare and a man at war. This past Tuesday, the, uh, the 3rd of April, Mazi Yusuf, 13 years old, lost 19 family members in what appears to, at, on that day, to have been a chemical attack in serious civil war. Since then, it's been fairly well confirmed and documented that, that it was uh, a chemical attack on that village. But on the morning of the 4th, he woke up in the hospital and realized, learned, that he was more alone in the world than he had been two days before that. So far, and this is by the middle of this last week, 70 adults and children had been killed in one more attack in serious six-year war. Whether it's ancient or modern, it seems that our world continues to be scarred and defined by human wrath and man at war. In our own country, I understand that statistically, there is more violence in our living rooms between spouses and parents and children and between siblings than in all the battlefields. The world in which Paul wrote Ephesians was an incredibly violent world, as is the world 2,000 years later in which we are reading this letter we call Ephesians. The big question then, as the big question today all over the world, is this. Where is the evidence that God is present in the world? Where is the evidence that God has any semblance of influence in the world? The answer, ironically enough to that question, and others like it, is this. The evidence of God present in the world is sitting on the pews around you. Ephesians chapter 2, we began looking at it last week. Ephesians 2 gives two pieces of evidence of God being present in the world through His people, through God's people. In verses 1 through 10 that we looked at last week, salvation not only means that we have been redeemed by His blood and received forgiveness of our sins, but that God is also reforming us. He redeems us and continues reforming us into the humans that we were always meant to be, which he's going to spell out in greater detail in the latter half of Ephesians. But he is, in, in the, the first part of chapter 2, not only redeeming us and reforming us, and part of that reformation of human beings is where we, because we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, our works now become works of goodness that we insert into the world in contradiction to the works of wrath and warfare. People should be able to look at us as individuals and see a change for the better. But then in verses 11 through 22, and this is the passage that Adrian just read for us a, a minute ago, 
God's grace also brings people together who normally would not have anything to do with each other unless it had something to do with warfare and wrath, except that now they are at peace with one another because, chapter 2, verse 14, he himself, that is Christ Jesus, is our peace. Later on in chapter 4, Paul's going to say we as his people make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The answer to the question, where is the evidence that God is present in the world, is, is this. That who I am as an individual, who you individually are as a disciple, that is a gospel-changed life, is the evidence that God is present in the world. He is taking people who are plagued by addiction or by lusts, or by greed, or by racism, or prejudices, or biases, or any other kind of a weakness in this life, and he is changing them into the likeness of Jesus. That is evidence of God at work in people's lives. But on top of that, who we are corporately as a church, that is, our gospel-created fellowship in which we do life together as disciples, is also a piece of the evidence. And so in the text, verses 11 through 22 of Ephesians 2, uh, we're told in a nutshell what the heart of the problem is, the heart of the solution, and the heart of the community. What's at the heart of the community of God? So first, the heart of the problem is this, it's hostility. Uh, a, a fellow who is uh, a very interesting writer in the area of theology who grew up as, uh, I, I shouldn't say he, he grew up because he's still from Croatia. He's a Croat, uh, but he no longer lives in that part of the world. He's a professor here in the United States. A fellow by the name of Miroslav Volf wrote a book entitled Exclusion and Embrace, which was couched in his experience of growing up in Serbia as a Croat. He identifies what he sees happening not only in the world today, but what he has seen in the world through the study of history. How human beings typically respond to those who are distinctly different from them. First, one of the ways that they try to deal with it is to eliminate them. Just get rid of them. And if that's not an option, then it is to assimilate them. We will only embrace them if they become like us. Or number three, it's to dominate and subjugate these people that are different from us. Or, and maybe perhaps the worst, it is to abandon them as human beings. In the ancient world of Paul, there was a globalizing of the world that had not been seen until our own day. There was a common language which made the, the globalization of the world in the first century of Paul fairly easy. There was one language that everybody was speaking. It was the language of, of Greek. There were Roman roads that connected all the far corners and everything in between of the Roman world together. And those roads were safe to travel because the Roman soldiers, the Roman army, the legions were out there protecting the peace and making it relatively safe to travel across the empire. And so in, in the cities of the Roman empire, there poured all of these different ethnic groups making these cities not just virtually, but, but literally a melting pot of humanity. Uh, the fourth largest city in the Roman empire during this period of time is Antioch. And in Antioch during the first century, during the time that Paul and Barnabas and others are living there and a church is being established, there are 18 quarters 
there are 18 quarters that have been discerned in that ancient city. And where you have cultural differences and different languages, you're going to have heated misunderstandings further fueled by self-interest. People are going into this common marketplace. They're trying to communicate. And you know as well as I do that uh, there's more to communication than words. And sometimes what is um, uh, 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 a positive uh, gesture in your own culture becomes a derogatory one and an insulting one in another culture. And one of the reasons that city quarters came into existence was to protect ethnic groups from each other because of these misunderstandings quickly escalating into violence and sometimes even into riots. And that's why these boundaries, whether they were visible or invisible, formed and divided people in these cities like they do today. If you were to go to the ancient city of Jerusalem today, you're going to find in much of this cordoned off by walls, you're going to find four quarters. Uh, If you go into uh, New Orleans, you're going to find a French quarter where predominantly the French people at one time lived. Um, In sort of a bigger than life example of this, the democratic west side of Berlin up until the 1990s was separated from the communist east side of Berlin by a wall that heavily armed men were stationed across the top of it. That was very visible. In an invisible way, there are these railroad tracks in every city and town and village in the United States that you don't cross because of the color of your skin. Sometimes these boundaries are very huge and palpable and tangible and big, and sometimes they're invisible but they're never imaginary. In Ephesus, where Paul is writing this letter to, Josephus and Philo speak of these regular conflicts between Jewish and and, and Gentile communities, a lot of it having to do with the rights of Jews and the privileges of the Jews in Ephesus at that time, which meant that there were flaring up in the city of Ephesus Uh, these issues and questions about citizenship and religion and politics and ethnic pride and civic duties. All of this was constantly flaring up between the Jews and the Gentiles in the city of Ephesus. And when Paul from prison is thinking back about not only his experience of, of Ephesus, but the culture of Ephesus in which this church has, has, has been planted, the interaction between the Jews and the Gentiles could be summed up by just one word. In, their, in that civic area, that, that metropolitan area of Ephesus, what was the word that summed up the relationship of the Jews and the Gentiles was the word hostility. And in verse 14 and verse 16, that's precisely the word that shows up in this letter. He says in verse 14, He, meaning Christ, Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the what? The barrier. The what? Dividing wall. And what kind of wall is it? A wall of hostility. Drop down verse 16. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to death their very human hostility. In Ephesus, what you find is a a newly formed multicultural church. It's made up on one side of the coin of Gentiles. They're coming into the body of Christ. 
But in terms of their knowledge of God, they're far off. And so what they bring into the church is that far-off understanding of messy pagan habits. And they bring with them the old prejudices and the old biases and the old hatreds uh, uh, and, and, and all of the superstitions. But they're also bringing a fresh, albeit a young, knowledge of God in Christ. The other side of that coin, you've got Jewish people, you've got Hebrews who have come into the body of Christ, but they are bringing with them an ancient knowledge of God and an ancient knowledge of Scripture and the stories of the patriarchs and, and the great intersections of God's presence with the Hebrew people. And if we are to think about this, I think even more profoundly, we're to remember that in places like Deuteronomy chapter 4 and Deuteronomy chapter 9, as the people are getting ready to go into the, the, the promised land, for the second time, and, and to possess it, it's a blessing from God. Moses is reminding them in De Deuteronomy, which is basically three sermons on remember, remember, remember. He reminds them in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that God has commanded them to obey his law and to live according to that law in order to be different in the eyes of the nations. And when the, the nation sees the way that they live and the way that they are blessed by God, they will see a wisdom in the world that they have never known before. Five chapters later in chapter 9, what Moses says to the people is this. He says, listen, you, you are blessed by God, but remember that God is giving you the land, not because you're great or beautiful or anything like that. You're, he's giving you the land, not because you even deserve it. He is giving you the land, and, and you know how the passage goes. But the nearness to God had made them exclusive and prideful. One only has to think of Luke chapter 18 where Jesus is talking about here one day at the temple there is a Pharisee and a tax collector that shows up. And the tax collector is just full of repentance and a, a sense of his own sin and unworthiness and his distance from God and he tears his shirt and he says, Have mercy on me, God, for I am a sinner. Where the Pharisee stands apart. And he says, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like these other people. Now you see what happens when you have those that have this far-off culture and this near culture trying to come together in the church. Ironically, in chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says that both of these groups need to be reconciled to God. And so what you have in the church of Ephesus is strife and you have people arguing with each other and there's, there's this potential for what's happening out in the marketplace to find its way into the church. And so where is the evidence of God present in the church, let alone in the world, when the church is marked by words like hostility inside itself? Which brings us to the heart of the solution which is peace. One of the most surprising things in the world is when peace appears when and where no one expects peace to be. In verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. One new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace in his 
in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Do you know what Paul is going to call the gospel in chapter 6 of Ephesians? The gospel of peace. Now here's the thing that we're really going to see uh, more clearly uh, written out by, by Paul later in the book. But suffice it to say right now, because of the need of, of them to understand that they are saved by grace and have been reconciled to God, not because of their great works or because of their goodness, but it is a gift. It's about faith and what it is that Christ has accomplished for them. The death of God's Son on the cross for redemption and forgiveness of sin to be a reality. So in Paul's mind, there is no place for a cheap peace to be understood in the fellowship of that church. Cheap peace is just the facade. It's, it, it's taking a, 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 a dirty wall of hostility and whitewashing it with peace. It's, it's, it's the absence of visible hostility although the hostility of the heart is still present in the members of that one body of Christ. Cheap peace is changing churches instead of attempting the hard work of reconciliation. Cheap peace is sitting on the other side of a rather large auditorium in order to avoid one another. Cheap peace is believing that peace is the absence of diversity, whether it's in the area of race or ethnicity or minor doctrines or politics, you name it. Cheap peace is an easy peace. God's peace is forged through His great sacrifice of His Son. Up on the screen is, is, is a very special photograph to me. In 2009, um, this photograph was taken in Rwanda. And uh, as many of you have, have either read about or seen on the news or um, have seen in movies, uh, the, the great Rwandan genocide that took place, uh, nearly a million Tutsis were murdered by the Hutu tribe in just uh, attacks on villages and on families. Didn't matter, male, female, Mother, daughter, child, son, brother, it didn't matter. The guy on the bike is a, a young man by the name of Mark Sahabo. In April of 1994, he entered the village of the young woman that is on the back of the bike, Felicita Makabakunda, and with a machete, he personally killed 15 people, which included... Felicita's father, uncle, and four other family members. Mark was arrested for the crime when they discovered who the identity of the perpetrators. He was one that was arrested. He spent seven years in prison. He was released in 2003 because of the massive overcrowding of the prisons. By the time he was released from prison, he was in his mind, soul, his life, 
aimless and, and, and drifting and lost. And he became a Christian and became so convicted by grace and, and discovered the greatness of the price that was paid for him to find peace with God and reconciliation with God that he knew that he had to return into this particular village and ask for forgiveness. He went to Felicita's village, found her and approached her. She knew who he was and she wanted him to die. And he got down on his knees and begged for forgiveness. And in no way am I saying that this was quick and on the spot or easy. But in time, through space and time, Felicita, also a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, forgave him. And now these two people, these two disciples of Jesus, two tribes, Tutsi and Hutu, and all that history, and all that violence, the wrath and the warfare, these two disciples of Jesus ride together on a bike from village to village telling their story. This picture is evidence of God present in the world. Real peace is forged between redeemed people who are far away and redeemed people who are near because in seeing how God has willed our reconciliation by the sending of His Son to die on the cross, it becomes our will our will to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters regardless of what culture or state, the color of their skin, economically how much money they have in the bank, it does not matter. It is the desire and our will to be reconciled and it's evidence of God present in a world where there is warfare and there is wrath. And we desire and will it because we have been made new human beings. New human beings. It, in verse 15, he calls it the new humanity. And we are new human beings because we have been reconciled to God and we have peace with God because of what he calls the great love and the great mercy that he has lavished on us. The great peace with God that he has worked into our lives is the great peace that is worked out in the relationships between Christians who have been made one body even though at one time there was a railroad track or a wall or a street that separated us and at the heart of that new humanity and community is God himself in verse 19 Paul writes consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household built 
on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The reconciler and the peacemaker becomes the chief stone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Three metaphors that Paul uses to illustrate how the peace of God and his gospel make a device group as, as, as of disciples. One, we're fellow citizens. If you think about it in terms of a nation, we all belong. We all have the, 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 uh, the, the, the driver's license that says that we're from this place. Not only that, he says we are a family. We are members of God's own family. We are a people who consider themselves to be in a family with brothers and sisters, and it's God as our Father. And the more that that begins to dawn on us and we begin to live out the ramifications and implications, the more at home we are with each other in spite of the differences. And not only that, we become this temple in which God by His His Spirit dwells in us. And you know where we see it first, right? We see it in Christ. In Colossians 1, Paul says the Son is the image of the invisible God. Which means that Christ was evidence of the presence of God in the world. He came into this world as the prince of what? Prince of what, church? Peace. And he took a group of first century Hebrews, fishermen, tax collectors, Pharisee of Pharisees, even a zealot, and he taught his disciples how to love one another because he had loved them first. We walk in the steps of a man whose dying breath as he was being crucified was for God to forgive those who were piercing his body with nails in order to hang him on the cross. And it's because of him that we have, as Paul tells us in Romans 5, that we have peace with God. May our church always be the evidence of God present in San Antonio and in the world. May the sad song of our fallen humanity, whether it's racism, whether it's, it's, it's biases, whether it's fears, whether it, it's, it's hatreds, may the sad song of our fallen humanity never be sung in our church. And may love, may the love of God in Christ, may love that defines God displace hostility and strife And when people come into our place and they hear the way that people from all of these different backgrounds 
have come together and in the cross and in love through grace, spirit is a gift, sins forgiven, redeemed from their enslavement to sin. Here, that group of people, young and old, male and female, rich and poor, they hear that body as it sings praises to God, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, fall down and exclaim that God is in this place. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. and You know, the time has come for, for some to take that, that step of expressing their faith in, in Christ recognizing that it is not in themselves at all, not even by an nth of a degree, to save themselves, to find hope, to find any of the stuff, the blessings that the Bible talks about. It is not in them. It is in Christ. And that there is a a really important decision about life, that is to, to change direction and repentance in order to be able to confess that Jesus is now Lord and none of the idols are to have sins washed away in baptism, and to know that God's Spirit comes to dwell in you and helps you on a daily basis to be transformed into the likeness of Christ by that Spirit day by day, degree by degree, and to enjoy the presence of God, not just today in the abundant life that He blesses us with in this life, but to be forever and ever in His presence in all of eternity. If that describes you this morning, some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk to them about this as we stand and praise God together.